Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an Asian, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourselves up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money from the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, over, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march or demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marching, they never changed anything.
only so much oil in the well, only so much oil. That's the title of the song. Now, that song was released forty-three years ago in nineteen seventy-five. It's two thousand eighteen right now, and it was all about finding alternative uses of fuel and energy to power your car, power everything in your life that requires some type of energy. Uh, Today's podcast titled Beauty School versus Solar School, the Bottom of the Pyramid, Beauty School versus Solar School, Bottom of the Pyramid, live stream number 619-768-2945. What we're going to get in today is where the ball is at in certain parts of the world and where the ball is moving in other parts of the world. Dealing with um, future jobs, future businesses, future industries, um, because it's in pioneer phase in many parts of the globe. And we'll talk about things like solar barbershops, solar sewing machines. There are people uh, in parts of this globe, they have businesses that is based on the solar sewing machine. They don't need any electricity to to sew whatever they're going to sew, which reduces their costs. So we're going to um, feature audio on that stuff. And on top of that, uh, like I said, from beauty, beauty school versus solar school, people are familiar with beauty school. People go to beauty school basically become hairdressers, nail technicians, and that type of thing. Solar school is where the ball is going. As a matter of fact, that's where it's at in parts of the world right now, in Africa and India and maybe parts of Southeast Asia. In any event, we're going to play the first audio. You'll hear Van Johnson speaking. I'm not Van Johnson. Van Jones speaking about the green-collar economy. For it, TV, the world is thinking. First of all, we've got to go back to producing something here in the United States, right? How about that? Uh, Actually producing something here. And there's one thing we can produce here that we've not produced, which is clean energy. That is the big multi-billion dollar play left in the U.S. economy. The opportunity to take our Saudi Arabia of wind energy, that we have in our plain states, and our Saudi Arabia of solar energy that we have in our sunbelt and on millions of rooftops coast to coast, and connect those clean energy power centers to our population centers and run this country on clean energy. Now, that is the breakthrough that begins to solve a number of problems at once. First of all, it puts the country back to work because now, what can you say to people in Detroit? Rather than, than, than saying to people in Detroit, we're going to bail you out so you can make SUVs that are 2% more fuel efficient in 10 years, which we're not sure who's going to buy it, but we're going to bail you out. We can say, now, how about this? 
rather than Detroit being asked to make slightly better SUVs that are going to help destroy the world, we can ask Detroit to make wind turbines and smart batteries and solar panels that can help save the world. Why do, you, why do I say that? Because the real question we have to ask ourselves is what do we want to do with our industrial capacity in this country? That's the real question. Why not put a $15 billion purchase order on the table for wind turbines? Right? Enough wind turbines to actually uh, tap our uh, plane stakes. And then, to be clear, when I say wind turbines, some of you guys have children, and when I say wind turbines, you hear windmill. I know you do. You're thinking about, oh, I have the child on my lap. And we're turning to, look, there's a lamb, you know, and there's a farmer, and there's a cow, and there's a windmill. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about wind turbines, right? Think Boeing-level engineering. Think a jet engine in the sky that can turn a breeze into real power. I'm talking about 8,000 finely machined parts in each one. 8,000 finely machined parts in each one. That's a car. That's a car. If you put them on a wind tower, that's 20 tons of steel. So you can put your automakers back to work and your steel workers back to work, just turning our plane states into wind energy clean power centers. Right? I'm talking about smart batteries. I'm talking about solar panels and solar thin film. Right? We've got to produce something. Let's produce that. Wind turbines, it's better to produce them here than overseas anyway because they're so heavy. Those big blades, you don't want to build them someplace else and put them on a boat. That would be a big boat. Uh, so it's better to actually, it's more economical to build them here. So why don't we, rather than uh, bailing out Detroit uh, to do what's not going to work anyway, why don't we ask, actually, let the, actually buy the things that we need and let General Motors retool? General Motors is called General Motors, not General Cars or General SUVs. The motors that we need would run those, solid, would run those, those wind turbines, okay? We've got to go back to producing something here in the United States. Let's put Detroit back to work. It's better than that. It's not just about producing more energy, cleaner and greener energy. It's also about conserving and using more efficiently the energy we produce from any source. And there's another opportunity to put people back to work in energy efficiency. What, what am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, good working-class jobs, blowing in clean, non-toxic insulation in buildings. You know, everybody wants to beat global warming. We've got to stop global warming. I'm going to ride my bike. Good. You should ride your bike. But when, if you ride your bike from your house that's hooked up to a coal-fired power plant that's leaking all kind of energy and is 30% inefficient, to your office building that's doing the same thing, to the mall that's doing the same thing, and then back home, you're missing 40% of our greenhouse gas problem, which is not automobiles, but our buildings. Our buildings are actually 40%. You spend, unless you live in Los Angeles, you don't spend that much time in your car. Uh, you spend an awful lot of time in buildings. Computers on, iPods plugged up, TVs on. And if you're hooked up to a coal-fired power plant, you're dumping megatons of carbon into the air. With existing off-the-shelf technology, we can bring that down by 30%, 40%, and save you money. We haven't done it because up until now we haven't taken it seriously. We've got a proposal called the Clean Energy Corps that will let 
cities do that across the country, and take folks off the street corner, right? People coming home from wars, people coming home from prison, people leaving high schools with no future, and take that soldier and say, put down that handgun, pick up this caulk gun, right? And let's get to work retrofitting a nation, repowering and rebooting America. All right, that was Van Jones, yeah, Van Jones uh, speaking on the green-collar economy. Now, Van Jones is a very, very important person and figure when it comes to the green-collar economy. Um, He's African-American. Ivy League educated. And uh matter of fact, I got a Van Jones War story to share with you. In, I don't know, was it 2008 or 2009? Before, and matter of fact, Van Jones was in the President Barack Obama's first White House administration. Um, but before he was, before B- Obama was elected, before he released his first book, The Green Collar Economy, and once again, Van Jones is a black man, I happened to meet him in person in Washington, D.C. at a, I, would, I guess would call a green event. We were in southeast D.C., walking distance of a neighborhood called Berry Farms, and um, which is a black neighborhood, the hood, so so to speak. And uh, the late Marion Berry, he was he wasn't mayor at that time, but he was a councilman. He came in there. Before Van Jones came along for a follow up and left, didn't come back. Now, I'm trying to paint a visual for you. Over here by Berry Farms, it wasn't at Berry Farms, but it was walks, a short walk to Berry Farms in Southeast DC. Like I said, it was this green event, and Van Jones. was really the main attraction. However, main attraction of who, demographically, is a whole different story. So I'm I'm painting a picture for you. Now, the people, the organizers of this event were green people. In other words, in green people, uh, they're into the environment. They're into saving the polar bears. They're into wind energy, corn stoves, solar panels, windmills, electric vehicles. Some people might even call a lot of them nerds. Except for me. Every person that was a part of organizing the event was white. Now, D.C. is divided into four quadrants, northwest, southwest, um, northeast, southeast. 
These white folks basically came from upper-income neighborhoods. This is one of those few times they came over to the hood. All right, people have political clout. They get legislation on the books, that type of thing. But anyway, this particular Saturday, they were in the hood. I was with them because at that time I was doing a lot of volunteer work you know, learn about green policy, electric vehicles, that type of thing. So I had a lot of social capital with these people. So that that's how I got the invite. And they even had, like, free booths, uh, tables for, you know, if you had a solar panel company, a solar panel installation company, and, you know, or you're selling corn stoves or whatever, you were a green entrepreneur, they had free tables for you. You know, I helped set all that up. Now, the people in the neighborhood to come out, they were giving away free hot dogs. Some of these people look look like they ain't ate in a while, but that's another story. They were giving away. So there are plenty of people that get, gave out free hot dogs. Now, once again, Marion Barry, the former, late Marion Barry, former mayor of D.C., he was a council member this time, Ward 8, he came in early for a photo op, didn't come back. And they had some other local politicians in that neighborhood that were there. They came and left. Anyway, Van Jones, a black man, now this is once again before he released his, his first book, The Green Collar Economy, which I recommend you buy. If you if you want to see the where the, if you missed out on the dot com, buy this book, The Green Collar by Van Jones. Now, so Van Jones comes along, and I see him first. So I go over to him and shake his hand, and the moment I shake his hand, and we were trying to connect on a brother level because essentially. Nobody knew who he was, black, other than me. Hundreds of black folks there. I was the only one that knew. This dude, once again, he later on was going to be in the Obama administration. I would say Van Jones is the most significant black person. I mean, we have to put it in terms of color. Than a Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton. But culturally, we're not there yet. But anyway. So the moment I was shaking his hand and whatnot and about to start the, the, the first sentence of a conversation, before I can complete the first sentence, before we can complete a sentence between me and Van, these white folks that, that I was volunteering with, that I saw on a weekly basis, they just descended on him like a rock star. You could, could have thought this dude was Mick Jack and swept him away. I never got to see Van for the next for the rest of that, that day. Later on, he released his book, The Green Collar Economy. Obama gets elected. Van Jones is in the White House. Now, later on, he resigned out of the White House because somebody, probably from the oil industry, dug up something on him that he said a gazillion years ago. So, you know, just to keep the peace, because, you know, Obama being black, first black president, all that. 
you know, he just he resigned out of it. The green collar economy. What that book is about is instead of looking for blue collar jobs, he says a solution for Pookie and Ray Ray. He uses that term in the book. The solution for Pookie and Ray Ray is to start training for jobs in the green collar economy. Installing solar panels, windmills, architecture, all that type of thing. Now, here's the thing. Now, I probably met that was two. I met him before he released the first book. I think he released that in 2009. So it's 2018 right now. There have been a number of training programs in the inner cities, including D.C., where they have trained guys to be solar panel installers. But a lot of the people who got trained in those programs and got their level certificate have never been hired. Some have, but I would say the lion's share haven't. Why? Because we're in the pioneer phase. What? Once again, that was two, it's, it's 2018 now. It's nine years ago. We're still in the pioneer phase. It's the pioneers who have to populate an uh, industry first and create the jobs. Because right now, a lot of mom-and-pop installers, at least with solar panels, they're mom-and-pop business. You know, you keep the office, I'll go out and install the solar panels. That's what a lot of operations are. Some might have a few more employees than that, you know. But um, on a critical mass basis, that's what it's like for the last nine years. When it's going to hit a critical mass, I don't know. But that's what today's podcast is, to tune in on it. Um, the next order I'm going to play, and here's a, a, another important book that you need, need to read by a guy named C.K. Prahalad. He's deceased. He wrote a book called Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid, based on people that might make one or two dollars a day income. But let me put it in terms of the United States, the dollar store. A whole lot of people every day go to the dollar store, family dollar, dollar general. The next series of videos I'm going to play are people who have gone into the solar business and they've made their business model based on the people that part of the bottom of the pyramid, even in the United States and Western countries. And if you can make your business model, particularly in renewable energy or any business, based on the bottom of the pyramid, the paychecks will flow to you. If you look at the four driving forces, in addition to globalization, for the first time in human history, three billion people are connected. In five years, people expect four billion people to be connected. That's going to make a big difference to how companies operate. The second, digital technologies are becoming extremely inexpensive. Uh, for example, the cell phone is only the starting point that you can get a cell phone for $30. But you can also get 16 gigabits of memory in a USB for less than $20. So the costs are going down dramatically. And this means technology does not differentiate any longer between the rich and the poor.
the poorest people can have exactly the same technology as the rich have. Maybe less bells and whistles, but the same technology. The cell phone is just the starting point. And then there is convergence of technologies. The cell phone is a phone, it's a computer, it's a map, it's a watch, it's a camera. So all these technologies and uh, businesses are coming together. And finally, I think, social networks are becoming extremely important, like Facebook, MySpace. So if you take these four drivers, connectivity, digital technologies, uh, certainly convergence of technologies and industries, and social networks, com with, coupled with globalization, is going to fundamentally create new opportunities and new ways to compete. So the substance of the book assumes these driving forces and then ask the question, how would the poor and the rich markets change dramatically and therefore how do we create value? That is the core substance of the book. If you look at what the heritage of most companies are, I say let's go back to Model T. If you look at Model T, it was totally vertically integrated. You put iron ore on one side, you get cars on the other side. All the resources required to create the product was within the company. And more importantly, it was an undifferentiated consumer base. That's why the famous one-liner from Henry Ford, any color car is okay as long as it's black. That's our heritage. No company operates that way today. But that's our heritage, that's where we're coming from. I'm going to the other extreme. If we can think of one consumer experience at a time, even if you have 100 million consumers. For example, Google has 100 million consumers, but I can go to Google and construct my own page. It's called iGoogle. So it is one personalized experience at a time. And a more important part is none of the content in Google is produced by Google. So all the content comes from outsiders they aggregate it and give it to me. So one consumer experience at a time, and in order to serve that one consumer, you get resources from around the globe. This is very different. It's 180 degree different from Model T. So I call this N equal to one, one unique personalized experience. And R, the resources are global. This is very different from vertically integrated, undifferentiated consumers. That's where the world is going. And that is true whether you're in Starbucks or you're Apple. Apple, you can create your own music portfolio, but Apple does not create the content. Neither does Apple produce the device. The device is made in China. The displays come from Japan. The semiconductors come from uh, South Korea. They're all put together. The software is owned and the design is owned by Apple, but that's about all. So it's R equal to J one consumer portfolio at a time, you make your own portfolio of music. Mm -hmm. So this is happening not only in what I call the new age companies, Google, Apple, Netflix, and so on, but also old age companies, like in tires, insurance, automotive, and healthcare. So that, I think, is the new approach, N equal to one, one personalized experience, and resources from around the world to make it happen. Okay, that was C.K. Prahala. Before we get back to him, let me uh, go back to uh, Van Jones 
over in the Berry Farms neighborhood in north southeast D.C. Berry Farms, from what I hear through the grapevine, is being gentrified. Most of those people, the black ones that is, that was in that lived in that neighborhood in Berry Farms nine years ago, that they didn't know who Van Jones were, was. They didn't even give them because they, they, you know, they let them have uh, some airtime there on the podium. Black folks didn't even give him no respect then, but they didn't know who he was. He was taught once again the book, the Green. They hadn't even released the book yet, but it was on the radar to get released. Anyway, that neighborhood and you know, most of those people that were living there probably don't even live in that neighborhood no more because Berry Farms, matter of fact, not only Berry Farms, that particular neighborhood is being gentrified. And the book, The Green Collar Economy, like I said, if you want to get in on it, I recommend getting I haven't read a second book, but that book, I, I've read that book at least twice. Um, now, the C.K. Prahalit. C.K. Prahalit, um, the bottom of the pyramid, the, the book is titled Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid. I haven't seen any dollar stores go out of business lately. Okay, so that's where solar is, go- matter of fact, is going in Western countries. It's already there, maybe not on a dollar level, but th- the market of the, the $1 to $2 a day income personal family exists. And a lot of them do have solar if you go to various parts of Africa, India, and Southeast Asia. I also recommend the book by C.K. Prahalik, Fortune at the Bottom Period, because, like I said, he passed in 2010. So this audio I just played of him, Pookie and Ray Ray, or poor people, wherever they might be on the planet, they have cell phones. Matter of fact, many of them have smartphones. They can pay the electric bill with their smartphone in rural Africa, rural India, rural Southeast Asia. They, they've been, they've been, he passed in 2010, it's 2018 right now. They've been doing that for over a decade. Now, in some of those parts of the world, like Asia, parts of Africa, Southeast Asia and India, they've got solar. Because they have a, a different approach to it as far as the size of the, uh, they call them solar home systems. That phenomenon really hasn't hit here unless you're a hobbyist in this country and in Canada and, and probably Mexico. Anyway, as far as industry goes and employment goes and job creation goes, the next clip I'm going to play comes out of India. Guy named uh, I think it's what Roy Bunker, the Barefoot College. Here's the story of the Barefoot College, which is in India. He set up a school that teaches 
illiterate women from India and parts of Africa, mind you, illiterate. A lot of these are women, many are grandmothers. He takes these women, illiterate women who know nothing about, I know they they know enough to count, you know, for their, to get their food and all that other type stuff, buy clothes and all that for their family. But they don't know anything about advanced math, trigonometry, science. They don't know anything about electrical wiring, none of that stuff. He teaches these electrical, I mean, these women through the Barefoot College on how to become, they get, they get hands-on experience on how to become solar technicians and solar engineers. It's all hands-on. Then these women go back to their villages and they make money as solar entrepreneurs. Some of these women have gone back to their villages and they have put the the companies that have the that own the electrical gear grid, they have put the electrical grid out of business in parts of rural Africa, rural India, and Southeast Asia. There needs to be a barefoot college right here in the United States and Canada and even Mexico. So this next clip, the barefoot college. We're getting to the solar solar machine. I'd like to take you to another world and I'd like to share a 45-year-old love story with the poor living on less than one dollar a day. I went to a very elitist, snobbish, expensive education in India, and that almost destroyed me. I was all set to be a diplomat, teacher, doctor, all laid out. I don't look it but I was the Indian national squash champion for three years. (laughs) The whole world was laid out for me. Everything was on my feet. Could do nothing wrong. And then I thought out of curiosity, I'd like to go and live in a work, just see what a village is like. So in 1965, I went to what was called the worst Bihar famine in India, and I saw starvation, death, people dying of hunger for the first time. Changed my life. Came back home, told my mother, I'd like to live and work in a village. Mother went into a coma. <laughs> what is this? The whole world is laid out for you, the best jobs are laying out for you, and you want to go and work in a village? I mean, is there something wrong with you? I said, no. I." got the best education, it made me think, and I wanted to give something back in my own way. What do you want to do in a village? No job, no money, no security, no prospect. I said I want to live and dig wells for five years. 
dig wells for five years? You went to the most expensive school and college in India and you want to dig wells for five years? She didn't speak to me for, f for a very long time because she thought I'd let my family down. But then, I was exposed to the most extraordinary knowledge and skills that very poor people have, which is never brought into mainstream, which is never identified, respected, applied on a large scale. And I thought I'd start a barefoot college, college only for the poor. What the poor thought was important would be reflected in the college. Went to this village for the first time. Elders came to me and said, are you running from the police? I said, no. <laughs> you failed in your exam? I said, no. You didn't get a government job? I said, no. What are you doing here? Why are you here? The educational system in India makes you look at, look at Paris and Delhi and Zurich. What are you doing in this village? Is there something wrong with you Don't, not telling us? I said, no. I want to actually start a college only for the poor. What the poor thought was important would be reflected in the college. So then they gave me some very sound and profound advice. They said, please, don't bring anyone with a degree and qualification into your college. So it's the only college in India where if you should have a PhD or a master's, you are disqualified to come. <laughs> you have to be a cop-out or a wash-out or a drop-out <laughs> to come to our college. You have to work with your hands. You have to have a dignity of labor. You have to show that you have a skill that you can offer to the community and provide a service to the community. So we started the Barefoot College and we redefined professionalism. Who is a professional? A professional is someone who has a combination of competence, confidence, and belief. A water diviner is a professional. A traditional midwife is a professional. A traditional bone setter is a professional. These are professionals all over the world. You'll find them in any inaccessible village around the world. And we thought that these people should come into mainstream and show that the knowledge and skills that they have is universal. It needs to be used, it needs to be applied, it needs to be shown to the world outside that these knowledge and skills are relevant even today. So the college works following the lifestyle and work style of Mahatma Gandhi. You eat on the floor, you sleep on the floor, you work on the floor, there are no contracts, no written contracts, you can stay with me for 20 years, go tomorrow. And no one can get more than a hundred dollars a month. You come for the money, you don't come to Barefoot College. You come for the work and the challenge, you come to the Barefoot College. That is where we want you to try crazy ideas. Whatever idea you have, come and try. Doesn't matter if you fail. Battered, bruised, you start again. It's the only college where the teacher is the learner and the learner is the teacher. And it's the only college where you don't give a certificate. You are certified by the community you serve. You don't need a paper to hang on the wall to show that you are an engineer. So when they said that, they said, well, show us what is possible. What are you doing? This is all mumbo-jumbo if you can't show it on the ground. So we built the first Barefoot College in 1986. It was built by 12 barefoot architects who can't read and write. 
built on $1.50 a square foot. 150 people live there, work there. They got the Aga Khan Award for Architecture in 2002. But then they suspected, they thought there was an architect behind it. I said, yes, they made the blueprints, but the barefoot architects actually constructed the college. We are the only ones who actually returned the award for $50,000 because they didn't believe us and we thought that they were actually casting expersions on the barefoot architects of Thelonia. I asked a forester, high-powered, paper-qualified expert, I said, what can you build in this place? He had one look at the soil and said, forget it, no way, nothing can work, no, no water, rocky soil. I was in a bit of a spot and I said, okay, I'll go to the old man in the village and say, what should I grow in this pot? Ah, he looked quietly at me and said, you build this, you build this, you put this and it'll work. This is what it looks like today. <laughs> Went to the roof and all the women said, clear out. The men should clear out because we don't want to share this technology with the men. This is waterproofing the roof. <laughs> it is a bit of jaggery, a bit of urine, and a bit of other things I don't know, but it actually doesn't leak. Since 1986, it hasn't leaked. This technology, the women will not share with the men. <laughs> it's the only college which is fully solar electrified. All the power comes from the sun. 45 kilowatts of panels on the roof and everything works out the sun for the next 25 years. So long as the sun shines, I have no problem with power. But the beauty is that it was installed by a priest, a Hindu priest who's only done eight years of primary schooling. Never been to school, never been to college. He knows more about solar than anyone I know anywhere in the world. Guaranteed. Food, if you come to the Barefoot College, is solar cooked. But the people who fabricated that solar cooker are women. Illiterate women who actually fabricate the most sophisticated solar cooker. It's a parabolic Scheffler solar cooker. Unfortunately, they're almost half German. They're so precise. <laughs> You'll never find Indian women so precise. Absolutely to the last inch, they can make that cooker. And we have 60 meals twice a day of solar cooking. We have a dentist. She's a grandmother, illiterate, who's a dentist. She actually looks after the teeth of 7,000 children. Barefoot technology. This was 1986, no engineer, no architect thought of it, but we are collecting rainwater from the roofs. Very little water is wasted. All the roofs are connected underground to a 400,000 litre tank and no water is wasted. If we have four years of drought, we still have water in the campus because we collect rainwater. 60% of children don't go to school because they have to look after animals, sheep, goats, domestic chores. So we thought of starting a school at night for the children. We call the night schools of Thelonia. Over 75,000 children have gone through these night schools because it's for the convenience of the, of the child. It's not for the convenience of the teacher. And what do we teach in these schools? Democracy, citizenship, how you should measure your land, what you should do if you're arrested, what you should do if, you're, if, you, um, if your animal is sick. 
This is what we teach in the night schools. But all the schools are solar lit. Every five years, we have an election between six to 14-year-old children participate in a democratic process and they elect a prime minister. The prime minister is 12 years old. She looks after 20 goats in the morning, but she's prime minister in the evening. She has a cabinet, minister for education, minister for energy, minister for health, and they actually monitor and supervise 150 schools for 7,000 children. She got the World's Children's Prize five years ago and she went to Sweden. First time ever going out of a village, never seen Sweden, wasn't dazzled at all by what was happening. And the Queen of Sweden, who's there, turned to me and said, can you ask this child where she got her confidence from? She's only 12 years old and she's not dazzled by anything. And the girl who's on her left turned to me and looked at the Queen straight in the eye and said, please tell her I'm the Prime Minister. <laughs> Where this percentage of illiteracy is very high, we use puppetry. Puppet is the way we communicate. You have Joachim Chacha, who is 300 years old. He is my psychoanalyst, he's my teacher, he's my doctor, he's my lawyer, he's my donor. He actually raises money, solves my disputes. He solves my problems in the village. If there's tension in the village, if the attendance in the schools go down and there's a friction between the teacher and the parent, the puppet calls the teacher and the parent in front of the whole village and says, shake hands, the attendance must not drop. These puppets are made out of recycled World Bank reports. <laughs> so this decentralized, demystified approach of solar electrifying villages We've covered all over India, from Ladakh up to Bhutan. All solar electrified villages by people who have been trained. When we went to Ladakh and we asked this woman, this, at minus 40 you have to come out of the roof because there's no place, it's all snowed up on both sides. And we asked this woman, what was the benefit you had from solar electricity? And she thought for a minute and said, it's the first time I can see my husband's face in winter. <laughs> Went to Afghanistan. One lesson we learned in India was men are untrainable. <laughs> men are restless. Men are ambitious. Men are compulsively mobile and they all want a certificate. <laughs> all across the globe you'll have this tendency of men wanting a certificate. Why? Because they want to leave the village and go to a city looking for a job. So we came up with a great solution. Train grandmothers. <laughs> What's the best way of communicating in the world today? 
Television? No. Telegraph? No. Telephone? No. Tell a woman. <laughs> okay. That's a very important statement that <clears throat> Bunker said with the Barefoot College. And today's podcast is titled Beauty School versus Solar School, the Bottom of the Pyramid. Once again, at reviewing what he just said, at the Barefoot College, where they train illiterate women, many of them grandmothers from India, parts of India, and parts of Africa, they train them how to be solar um, technicians and solar engineers. Many of these women, or all of those women, they go through that, go back to their village. Now, here's a distinction. This is where this is where North America is missing it big time. And if you listen to what I'm saying right now and act on it, you can possibly become a billionaire if that's what you want to become. At least not get left out, out ass out like you did with the dot com thing. There's a film that you need to watch. Van Jones is in it. Uh, it was it was on Netflix. So you can probably get it on Amazon now or YouTube Films or something like that. The film is it's a documentary titled Catching the Sun. I've watched it twice. I think I might go back for another view of it this coming weekend. Catching the Sun. In that film, you see, and I, I mentioned this earlier in this podcast, that throughout the United States, even today in 2018, you, and this, is, this film was just released a few short years ago, you have people who have formed nonprofits and they set up certificate programs to train people to install solar panels. You go through this course, you learn how to install a solar panel, you get a certificate, and then you go out looking for a job installing solar panels. We're not at that stage yet in the Western world. We're not there yet. We're still in pioneer phase. Where Africa, India via the Barefoot College, and parts of Southeast Asia, where they're kicking the Western world's ass, including the United States' ass big time, is the barefoot college model. There are no certificates. You don't go out and look for a job. He's got these grandmothers starting their own business in solar. That's a huge distinction. To my knowledge, all the training programs I've known about over the last decade in the United States, they've been giving out certificates and say, go out and get a job in solar. And most solar companies in the United States, even if they're in two, there's maybe barely a handful that can hire more than two or three employees. Most of them are mom-and-pop operations. Hell, a lot of them that you call, you're not even going to get a, you're going to get a, first thing, a live person might not even answer the phone. And then to make matters worse, you might not even get a call back. That's the state of solar installation. There are some companies that have, you know, a receptionist and a live person to pick up your phone and, and all that. 
but it may be two or three people behind that. That's it. Their mom and pop in 2018, for the most part. But that's a good thing for you. One opportunity is if you model a barefoot college and start training grandmothers. And there have been a number of NGOs that have been set up in Africa, India, Southeast Asia, probably Haiti at least, Central America, where like solar systems, where they're going into rural areas and they're training what we call impoverished or poor country women to become solar entrepreneurs. Mary Kay kits and Anway kits are played out. The new business model is giving these women these kits that have these solar lights and solar television sets and solar fans and, wait for it, solar sewing machines. They're training these women and they're not they're not your T and Crumpets lily white white woman. They're women of color. Now let's go to the next audio. Um Selco, which is a company out of India. Because after they go to the Barefoot College, then they become sole entrepreneurs. In 2005, Selco India won an Ashton Award for bringing affordable solar power to poor communities across Karnataka. We were very seriously trying to promote the linkages between sustainable energy and poverty, and Ashton actually uh, gave us that platform to take it further. There were a lot of myths before we started Selco. Poor people cannot afford technology, poor people cannot maintain technology, and you cannot run a commercial venture while trying to meet social objectives. So far, 71,000 households and businesses have benefited from a complete package of technology, aftercare and financing. To celebrate their continuing success, this thriving social enterprise is receiving the first ever Ashton Outstanding Achievement Award. By bringing together a package of microfinance, of income generating training and encouragement as well as the photovoltaic technology they have found a way of showing how sustainable energy can improve the quality of life of poor people and they've done it in a commercial way the effect of having electric light at home can be profound people come up and say my daughter has been able to complete her study just because we installed a solar light we have increased our income people even say that my daughter was born under solar light rather than candles and kerosene it's not just children who benefit mr murugesh is one of selco's new breed of entrepreneurs his solar battery recharging business uses selco technology to generate income after I put the Selco system in place, I felt more confident, like I could achieve anything in life. We can earn from this, and so can others. His delivery service rents batteries to local traders. At 15 rupees a night, it's a safer, cleaner alternative to kerosene. Selco has also developed a partnership with the Sewa Bank in Gujarat. 
With 300,000 members, this major microfinance institution helps poor working women secure loans for solar technologies. Leading to greater productivity, this extra cash allows for further investment. The solar sewing machines at this cooperative are making a big impact. Using solar power, there are three benefits. One, now we have a new type of sewing machine which has 27 designs. Two, we can work when there's no grid power. Three, because it runs on solar, we don't have to pay electric bills. The value of Selco's innovative model has been recognized globally. Selco and Seva go out to institutions like MIT, Berkeley or United Nations Development Programme to see how this could be scaled or replicated in other parts of the world. This year is the first year of the Outstanding Achievement Award and we wanted to celebrate one of our past winners that had gone on and achieved huge success. Winning the 2007 Outstanding Achievement Award is absolutely overwhelming because this reinforces what we are trying to do is right, that we are on the right track and has immensely motivated all the employees to reach greater heights of what we are trying to do. Okay, they've made, National Co, that's a, a, India, a, a company based out of India. Uh, they did make, mention of the solar sewing machine. We're going to play another audio about the solar sewing machine, and I'm going to give a, a quick comment on it. Now I'm going to show you the physical setup of the whole system. So this is divided into four parts. Wait as we can now. We have a panel of 60 watts, which is fixed on the rooftop. You have two terminals coming out of it, which are fixed on the charge controller. The positive one is this, the negative one is this. For many tasks, solar energy seems like an... Now I'm going to show you the physical setup of the whole system. For many tasks, solar energy seems like an expensive proposition. However, Handy and Selco have discovered that sometimes technologies can be redesigned. Selco looked at sewing, an occupation that employs many at the bottom of the income-generating pyramid and is considered too expensive for solar. What Handy discovered was that Western-designed sewing machines had much more power than needed by Indian seamstresses who worked with delicate cotton and silk fabrics. We were designing solar for inefficient solar sewing machines. Nobody was complaining about inefficient sewing machines, but everybody was complaining solar being expensive. And solar was expensive because we were designing for inefficiencies. Right. And so we, we thought we had to look at it. Selco then found machines that use less power. With the reduced energy requirements, solar became an economic and efficient option. Initially, I opted for solar because before, whatever I earned, I paid 35% to the electricity department. Otherwise, I didn't have any option but to steal electricity from the government sources. So this was the best option, to use solar. See, today, swing machine companies think that the electricity part for the swing machine is paid by a third party. They really don't care about the efficiencies because it's anyhow paid by the third party. So, so they are still looking at a very delta market. What we are trying to convince that if you make it more efficient and you plug it with sustainable technologies like solar, your market actually doubles. Selco is now replicating its success and diffusing these low-powered machines through its entire market area. I took a 250,000 rupee loan to get these machines. 
There are girls whose mothers work as maidservants. Now they are much better off since these girls do not need to work as maidservants. They earn more and are creative. All right, the solar sewing machine, that story out of India. Let me paint a picture for you and connect it to right here in the United States. Story, well, it was a trending uh, trending news story about uh, what, two, three weeks ago of a black woman in St. Louis who was kicked by two um, Arab or Indian store merchants at a convenience store in St. Louis with the St. Louis metro area. As we all know, many Indians, Arabs, Asians, let's just go with the Indians right now. They have an infrastructure already organized in the core of black America, USA. Already there. However, to my knowledge, the solar soaring machine and other solar things are not in those stores yet. And they haven't embraced lady that got kicked and say, you know what, we can train because that's what the Barefoot College is. The Barefoot College trains illiterate grandmothers to become solar entrepreneurs. That is a wide open opportunity right here in the United States. Wide open. All right, let's go out of India. Let's go to Uganda, the Solar Sisters. Once again, in Africa, India, they're training women, mostly rural women, to become solar entrepreneurs. That's their version of Mary Kay. But nobody, to my knowledge, is doing it over here. In Uganda, 90% of the population has no access to electricity. Kerosene supplies need to be bought every day. It costs women over half their monthly income. One hundred and thirty kilometers away from Kampala in Luero, staff at Solar Sister are training local women. As self-employed saleswomen for solar technology, they're helping their communities and themselves. Evelyn Namara is in charge of the training program. A workshop like this really helps us uh, build a woman because they are women who are starting up businesses from scratch and giving them such trainings really helps them to be uh, more fulfilled business women. Sarah Seranyongi takes a 10% cut from every solar lamp she sells. It has changed my life. I can get sugar 
I can get soap after selling the product. I can pay my grandson's school fees. Sarah tells her customers that if they buy one of her solar lamps, they'll be saving all the money they now spend on kerosene. The Solar Sister headquarters are in Kampala. Its mission is not only to empower women with economic opportunity, but also to help the environment. Evelyn Namara explains. For each lantern that we sell in its usefulness of about 10 years, uh, we save about 500 to 600 liters of kerosene, and that's about 1.5 tons of uh, carbon dioxide that are saved. The solar lamps also improve many women's professional prospects. Teddy Namirembe is a seamstress and can now continue to work after nightfall. She used to earn the equivalent of four euros a month. That's gone up to nearly 14. I work hard to earn money for me and my children. I want my children to go to school and to study well so that one day they can go to university. Back in Kampala after work, Evelyn Namara meets up with her fellow Solar Sisters. She's raising the company's profile with social media and has set herself some ambitious targets. I'd love to see Solar Sisters taking off, you know, from just 300 entrepreneurs to something like 1,000 entrepreneurs. That will be such a big achievement for me. Evelyn Namara is hoping to launch her project in Nigeria and Tanzania later this year. Okay, as I've stated, the, the opportunity to get wealthy beyond your wildest dreams, teaching people how to become sole entrepreneurs, or particularly women and grandmothers, it's out there. But here's the catch-22 that, that you've got to factor into this whole thing. These women, these grandmothers that go to the Barefoot College, the Solar Sisters that you heard about in Uganda and different parts of the world, they're from cultures and countries that don't have entitlement programs. They don't come from villages that, that there's no social services office in a lot of these places. There's no EBT cards. There's no WIC. When you ass out, you're ass out. There's no social workers. There's no Catholic charities. There's no Salvation Army that can take you in. So these women come from cultures that that don't, as compared to the United States and the Western world, where there is no entitlement attitude. They don't have the luxury of playing the victim. They don't have the, the luxury of crying white supremacy or the white man's hold. They don't have that luxury. So if you set up a school in this country, because the social services office is a gold mine essential human capital to train, but the only thing is to many of us over in this country, 
the government, social service, and entitlement programs, and racism is a religion. Is some people's God, and they won't want to hear what you got to say about becoming a solar entrepreneur, which is okay. You know that they'll be they'll be on your customer list one day down the road. But anyway, that's where the ball is in different parts of the world, and that's where the ball is going over here. Because simply, the United States is an end is an end user retail market. Six one nine seven six eight two nine four five Beauty School of Solar School Beauty School. It won't go out of business, but it's getting it's played out. You need to have be enrolled in some type of school that can teach you some entrepreneurial school uh, skill. Their Barefoot College, which has been around for quite a while, if you set something like that over here, and train people. You heard the because like I say, they don't give certificates. But the, a lot of these women that they train to become solar entrepreneurs, they don't go looking for a job. They go back to their business, village knowing they're going to start a business that helps meet the energy demands of that particular village. And some of these grandmothers, illiterate grandmothers, graduates of the bear. Put the electrical grid out of bit. You can do this in Chicago, D.C. There's all out there to do. Now, in this country, as a matter of fact, most countries, it's easier to get started in a rural area, which is one of the reasons why I went rural. Walmart started out rural because there's a lot more rural towns. The, big, the bigger the market the more rules and regulations. All right, let's go to the phone lines here. 773, uh, your mic is open. <laughs> Good morning, Ella. You did it again. Boy, I tell you, that's where, we're, that's where we're going, right where you have just, just demonstrated. And we got a place now where we can start. Right where you have demonstrated today is the golden goose. We get started really now problem. because we we get started you're, now. You're right. And uh we we got two months we got two months in front of us to get going. And I think we're on the right track at the right time. So everything is falling in place. And I was just now, looking Pleasant, at the uh Pleasant, let me let me interject something here. Van Jones, and I, I think I played this his audio first from the Green Collar Economy. He said something that basically you you've been preaching for years. Um but I want you to put more emphasis on it. Um he's Van Jones says we got to start making something, producing things in this country. That you preach it because at your place in Chicago, you have a factory, and then Al Zora's got it. You know, she does quilts. 
emphasize how, because that, that's a critical point. We need people to open up their garages and turn them into factories, spare bedrooms, turn them into factories, kitchen tables after we finish eating meals, turn those into factories. Go into that because that's one of the, the main things that Van Jones talks about, but I think it goes over a lot of people's heads. We have to start producing product. Yeah. Use it, producing product that's going to be beneficial to everybody, and it goes back to having the best in interest. And uh, when you got people, and what, what we are seeing today is, is a golden opportunity for everybody to be wealthy as they want, they see fit. They can work a few hours a day, or they can work all day. And I, you know, I was thinking about what you were talking about about reparations. And I was saying, and I've been saying it for the longest, you got reparation in your hand reach. All you got to do is reach out and get it. That's an oh, opportunity. Yeah. Reparation is right in front of your face. But a lot of us don't see yeah. it. No, but that's what we're going to be explaining and showcasing at the summit because a lot of people don't see it. And when you play that audio in front of a audience, there are a lot of people, I would say 50% of those people is going to get it and go to work. Because let me tell you what one of our uh, markets, our, our labor markets is right now. Right this minute. We've got enough people that's coming in and out of jail to build everything that we need. Right. Because they've never had they've never had this opportunity to make the money that they think that they deserve because of the entitlement program. Right. Absolutely right. The entitlement programs have shut their brain down. Because they think that they can go to the welfare house, put in the application, sit there all day and get a check next week. That's over. As you stated that earlier about uh, what's that company? The one people used to go around to the houses and uh, what's the, what is that? You got can't remember what you just said, but anyway, that system has played out. Are we talking it's about social around. services? Now the social services done played out. All of that, all of that Jimmy stuff is gone. Entitlement programs is is over. So we have to start producing. And I've been saying for so long, whatever has the assembly plants in Detroit and all over the country, let's replace the assembly plants so that we can produce that benefits everybody. What better opportunity is there? And you know you're right, Pleasant. And here's the thing: instead of instead of looking for the big companies to do this, where where it's happening is once again, just like Apple computers and a gazillion other companies, people's garages, people's spare bedrooms, people's kitchen tables, people's dining room tables. That's the factory of what's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it is. And sooner or later, they're going to get to a point where they're going to move out of the garage and move out of the kitchen and whatnot. But right now, 
that's where the action is as far as a lot of Western countries. Yeah. And that's where we got it up. And and you'll be producing the consumption of and I've always said you have to produce the consumption of mankind because we've got to the we've got to the status that we think that we can have a turnkey operation. Bam, it's done. And you know <laughs> I I like that barefoot thing. Because that's pretty much where I came from. It's the barefoot college. Because you had to produce to get any kind of education. And I was just telling some of my grandkids last night when we was talking, they was over here. We, when I was growing up, and I hate to go back to when I was growing up, but I got to give them a picture. You didn't go out and ask for anything that you didn't raise on your farm. Everything that you ate come off your farm. Only thing that I remember my mother buying was soda, this, you know, Armand's Hammer soda. That's that's pretty much all we bought from the store. That and a pot, RC or um, Pepsi-Cola, everything else we raised on the farm. And I was thinking about what we was, what we was talking about yesterday, <clears throat> about uh, the fertilizer. For the food that we eat, we can turn... We used to turn where, where Daddy used to say you got to turn under the vegetation that grew the food during this year. You got to turn the vegetation over so the rot and fertilize the ground for next for the next harvest. It's a continuation that goes on. Recycling goes on, and I was thinking as you were speaking about the plastic. When we get into uh, Pembroke, we're going to uh, I'm going to propose that we do this. We're not going to have plastic in, in Pembroke because it doesn't dissolve. It builds up. It builds up a mountain of stuff that doesn't go back to the earth. So what do you what do you do with it? We're going to have paper bags. Chicago right now. When you go to the store in the store in Chicago. You got to pay for the bags that you buy, you put your grocery in. We're not going to have that either because we're going to have the recycling bags, which is paper, and you take that and fertilize your gardens or your, uh, or your farms. The opportunities is that right in our hand reach. And that one room schoolhouse that we talked about, on a, a year or two ago, that one room schoolhouse, and you connect all of these dots together, is going to be the wave of the future. And that's where we got to take it. And I don't know of anybody that's actually addressing these issues, but you and myself. I've been told you got to be out your mind, players. You don't know what you're talking about, but that's fine. I kept going and didn't give up for 25 years, and I'm going to continue to go, go keep going because that's where the energy, that's where the wealth is. It's like going to from uh, New York to California to Gold Rush. That's where it is. 
and I'm gonna keep on this journey, and we're gonna do our we're gonna do our digging until we get it all turned over as to where everybody will eventually see the picture. And uh, the gold rush is gonna happen on uh, October sixth, but that's okay because I don't believe that the majority of the people that's gonna come to that that's gonna come to the uh, summit is gonna go away empty handed. No, they're gonna catch on and catch a hold of this gold rush that we're talking about. And today the young man that where we're gonna have the summit is open house today. So I gotta go out there to where we're gonna and uh, celebrate open house day for the uh summit that we're going to have in a couple of months. He called me and told me, he said, hey, you got to come out. You know, you, you're one of the persons that influenced this to happen. So I said, okay. So I'm, I'm going to tell my wife when she comes back to take me out there. But that's where, it's, that's where the gold rush is. You're, you're so on target, L.A. You're so on target. It's It's awesome. It's truly, truly awesome. The way you have did the research to find these places that has already did the barefoot college. You don't have to have these people with all these degrees because these folks with degrees have been miseducated. They really have. And uh, that's, that's pretty much, I just wanted to comment commit you on uh, doing a good job. Yeah, let me uh, read about the Barefoot. Um, let me give a little bit more information on the Barefoot College. Like I said, this is a concept that we can use right here in the United States, though in Canada and Mexico too. Uh, the, United, uh, the Barefoot College was started by Bunker Roy in 1972. So you can go online, they have a Wikipedia page, yeah, they have a link to the website. Um, and uh see, Bunker Roy is the founder of a now, uh, what is now called the Barefoot College. Uh, after conducting a uh, survey of uh, water supplies, where that goes in, people can just go online and read about this, the Barefoot College. But uh, it's located in India, and uh, oh, let me read their approach. I'm on their website right now. You can even uh, make donations to them if you want to. One of their principles is self-reliance. The college was born out of the belief that when people develop self-confidence and join together to solve problems, they learn that they can depend on themselves. Mind you, not the oh, village-based Solutions. Now, a tweak for this for the United States could be neighborhood-based solutions. Uh, and, they, and they have on their website, under village-based solutions, create solutions, and we're talking about energy, electricity, cooking. Uh, create solutions that work for, on a village level with combination of traditional skills and experimental learning. Now, that can be, village can be substituted in this country for neighborhoods. Instead of having a social services office 
in a particular neighborhood, you can have a branch of whatever you might call your version of the Barefoot College USA. And come yeah. up, because when those lights get cut off, when that heat gets shut off, when the water gets shut off, a lot of people, women, run to the government. Matter of fact, with my the whole basis of It's My House, which started, it was from a squatter who was a house sitter. Didn't have to me pay a, a rent. But after I asked the movie, she was trying to keep, stay, stay in the house. And the electricity got shut up because she was supposed all you had to, had to do was pay utilities. She went to some local government agency to get that cut off. See, in these places in Africa, rural Africa, Indian, and all that, they don't. There's no. There's no. If you want to call them a safety net, safety nets like that. So in these schools that we set up in this country, okay, we're going to have to educate people on how self-reliance. So in, in, you know, rural Africa, Indian, and Southeast Asia, they they have to rely on these social capital is what they live on. Whereas in this country, really, Section 8, social services, EBT cards, uh, you know, you can go to this agency to get your utilities uh, cut back on or saved from getting cut off twice a year, whatever city you might be in. All those programs, the way I see it, are enslavement programs. Yep. They're enslavement programs. That, that's that's going to be the challenge I see. That's going to be the challenge I see. But like I say, we, um, anyway, we'll brainstorming and we'll get it together. Let's go to our next caller. 314 area code, your mic is open. Oh, and, and thank you, uh, Pianaki. I, I got your uh, text, and I, I reached out to that guy yesterday, and he reached back. So he should be online now. He's been holding, I think, since about 9.50. Oh, what, what's his area code? 601, I believe it is. I'm not sure. No, no, no. No, no 601 on here. Well, go to the next person because maybe uh, let me see here. Man, nobody else. Five, six, if, if you want to get in and comment now, five, if six, one. Uh, no, all right. Any anybody listening, press one. The, the number is six one nine seven six eight two nine four five. Then press one. We had a five right, six well, one on here earlier, but they they dropped off. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll call him to him see if he can call back in. Anyway, I'll, I'll sit back and listen. Okay. All right. So, um, okay, I cut my own mic off. <laughs> All right. What we'll do is while we're waiting on, um, let me see. Let's go to, um, wait a minute. I had a, just an audio. I started the program off with it today by, uh, if I can find it. Oh, by Tower Power, Only So Much Oil in the Ground. This was released like 43 years ago. 
It's about alternative energy, and it's it, although it was released 43 years ago, it's still relevant today.
ago. And um, matter of fact, uh, here's another audio of a guy who's talking about his solar-powered Volkswagen. Hi, my name is Richard, and I live in Olympia, Washington. And like everybody else, I'm very concerned about the world that we're leaving to our grandchildren. Nine years ago, I took a 1975 Volkswagen, and I converted it to run on electricity instead of on gasoline. The car will drive 65 miles an hour on the freeway and has a range of about 40 miles on a single charge. That means that I can drive it 20 miles to work and then come home, or if I have a charging station at work, I can drive 40 miles to work and come back. My question is simple. Why aren't we all driving on electricity? And actually, I'll do you one better than that. On the roof of my home, there is enough sunlight that falls every year, which if it's collected, is sufficient to charge this car and meet all its energy needs. I hope to have my solar panels installed by the end of the summer. And so I have a second question. Why aren't we all driving on sunlight? like Dubai that have been built on oil. What's in the making now of cities or towns or villages or unincorporated areas that will be built or and are being built and developed on sunlight? Find you a little small town. Get you some cheap acres and then build yourself a solar development. A community that runs off of sunlight. There's some places like that right now in, in different parts of the world, but it, it's, it really hasn't reached a buzz level yet. But I'm just, I'm telling you that, that and that's, that's, that's the area where I'm going. Going? Area, let's see, area 843, four, your mic is open. Hey, L.A., how you doing today, bro? Fine, fine. Good to hear you, man. Thanks, bro. Um, if if I may suggest, you put out such powerful information on various levels, um, and I thank you for that, but if you had a website where you could put some of these videos at, because just like my situation, I don't really have a chat computer. It's gasping it already, Bob. I go outside, start up, and ride. Okay, wait a minute. Um, then we could retrieve these videos because you, you mentioned them and, um, you know, you can get some of the information in it, but sometimes it's very challenging to find them. And it's uh, you only have a certain amount of time in the course of your show, your podcast, where people constantly call and ask where that video link and things of that nature. You know, it's, it takes up too much time if that's only information they want to speak to. You know, it's just right, a thought. Right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, we had, you know what, I got to relaunch the website because the website that we did have, uh, It's My House Online, 
was a video website because I'm I'm really not into reading. I'd rather just watch the video. So uh, I will probably have that relaunched uh, before October 1st of this year, about in about a about a month and a half or so. We'll have that Excellent. relaunched, and that, a lot of the videos that, matter of fact, anything we mentioned, uh, I mean, some of the, well, what people want to hear, but we'll just say, just go to that site and you actually see the video. Right. Uh, so you mentioned a lot of powerful books also, bro. Yeah, it, it, like I said, we're, we're going to relaunch that site, and then we're going to have um, podcasts uh, on a different platform and that'll be like membership based. That'll go more into detail on how to, you know, you heard the idea. Okay. Now what can you do to actually turn that idea into a reality in your life? So mm. that, that, that's similar to also. Excellent. Excellent. Because that's really oh, what time it is. Oh, yeah, offline activities. And those podcasts yeah, cause are really yeah, because just like what you're speaking to, there's, um, you know, we all have an idea. We all have a vision. We've all been given a magic box when we chose to come into this physical realm. It's because of us getting uh, into this mass mind and things of that. We kind of forget these things until we're, until we're older. Being in an environment where the right questions are asked tends to knock on that door to open up that door or that file again, and then somebody says, oh, yeah. And now it's how-to because their mind is so locked into this appearance world that they generate some kind of fear on as far as bringing that forth, you know, because there's right. been a lot of things created. I mean, there's a guy down here in South Carolina. He's created um, one of those shunts. I think that's what they call them. It's like a, a needle that's uh, a port that sticks in your arm for people with uh, diabetes or have to get um, dialysis and things like that. And uh-huh. um, he has a patent on it. But I'm just saying something as simple as that, I mean, it's very needed, and you can basically um, get a, an infection in your arm by having something in your arm that's not sanitary and stable. So they constantly put these things in people's arms and take them out. And each time they do that, it's probably $1,000 to that person. So then it goes back into what you were talking about, that um, package that they have, you know, these um, health benefits. So if they give you Medicaid, Medicare, you only have like say six thousand dollars a year. Each one, you, each time you get one of those things changed, it might be three thousand dollars. So if you got to get it changed four times in a year, so the lady you're gonna have to come out your pocket. And if you don't have the money, you know, you might have to miss a couple of meals just, you know, for you to get dialysis. It's crazy. It's just traps and snares. And uh, yeah, dialysis is something you can't miss. Exactly. You can't. You can't and for him to have that. And for a brother to create such a product, you know, it's it's definitely well needed. But, again, you know, and it, and it comes into that same situation. If the people that need those kind of products don't hear about them from their own doctors, you know, this is something else that maybe, you know, because if you think about it, a person could advertise for their products on your website also for a fee, of course. I mean, I don't care if it's $6 a month. It's up to you. But still, that generates money for your campaign, your ministry, if you choose to call it that. And at the same time, people who need those particular products have a place where they can come to to purchase those products right. or find out about those products. Yeah, that's true. You're right about that. You're right about that. Um, 
Yeah, so we'll we'll have that, that website up. Um, we'll announce the date on it. Let's say it'll be before before yeah, it'll be before October first of this year and then um the uh, other uh, uh what do you call it? podcast platform will announce that as um well as the last week. Um where we go into the hands on how to stuff um that you that, that you do offline anyway. Um awesome. but thanks for those suggestions. And yeah, brother, um, what are we without each other? You, okay, you know, and if um, I may if I may say one more thing. Sure. Mm-hmm. I I once heard uh a young guy and I don't recall where I heard it at because it was a while ago. Those aluminum cans that soft drinks and things of that nature come out of. He said there's a way to use those panels, I mean those cans, and turn them into panels for solar energy. So look, probably so. I, you know, I, I haven't heard of it, but probably so. Probably so. It's, uh, I mean, <laughs> you hear, it's an amazing amount of energy. I mean, you got people that are, run, that are running villages. There's a, a place in Germany called Feldheim, Germany, they're completely off the grid, and part of their electricity generation comes from poop, pig poop, cow poop, probably human poop. Mm. Wow. Then, you know, I, I ran a story in here before. I'm going to try to get them on here. Uh, three Nigerian girls um, made an electric generator that runs off urine. Exactly. Yeah, you corrected so me on that, it, I think, it, a week ago. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of um, innovation out here. So that that's what we want to feature on here and then do offline stuff uh, with that. And then um, for some people that, um, um, that are ready for it, then, you know, they, they have a way they can get trained for it. Excellent. I salute you and I salute Brother Pleasant. You you were saying? Say that again, Brother? I I thought you had something was commenting on something else. No, I just want I just said I salute you and Brother Pleasant. I think his his name is Pleasant, the brother who um you were talking to about Pleasant. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. We well, want to take a, right, well, matter of fact, let's go to this next audio clip on, because I'm up here trying to juggle some things, uh, on Malcolm X on creating industries. If white immigrants can come to this country 50 years ago with nickels and dimes and no education, and come here and pool their little nickels and dimes and no education, and set up little stores, develop these stores into larger stores, develop this into an industry, which creates job opportunities for whites. Since Lincoln was supposed to have freed the black man a hundred years ago, and today the black man, according to the government economist, has spending power of $20 billion per year. We feel that with the black man spending $20 billion a year, not setting up any businesses, not creating any industry, not creating any job opportunities for his own kind, he's not in a moral position to point the finger today at the white man and tell the white man that he's discriminating against him 
for not giving him a job in factories that he has he himself set up. If the black man has $20 billion, and these so-called Negro leaders are such geniuses that they can integrate white restaurants and integrate white factories and integrate, force themselves into that which the white man has set up, they should use this same ingenuity to show the black people how to pool our wealth and set up something of our own. And then we won't have to force our way into his anymore. One more thing I would like to point out concerning what he said about 125th Street. We don't waste our time on 125th Street, but you can reach more people in the street who want to change than you can in the bourgeoisie society, the bourgeoisie church, and the bourgeoisie circles. We, our program is directed toward the man in the street. So we spend our time in the street, and what we do with that man, instead of trying to change the white man in your mind, make, up, make you accept us, we change the mind of the black man and make him accept himself. And as soon as he accepts himself, He'll solve his own problem. He won't be trying to force himself into your factory and into your bedroom and into your kitchen.
Get on down, get on down, get on down. Get on down, get on down, get on down. Get on down, get on down, get on down. Get on down, get on down, get on down. Get on down, get on down, get on down. Get on down, get on down, get on down. Get on down, get on down, get on down. Get on down, get on down,